This is live from the table, recorded at the world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog. And on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, Dan Natterman here with Noam Dwarman, owner of the world-famous Comedy Cellar. We have Periel Ashenbrand. She's our producer in quotes. Uh, well, Noam is not sure you're really a producer, so I put it in quotes. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And we have with us an old friend of, well, an old teacher of Gnomes. Philip Lopate is his name. He's an American film critic, essayist, fiction writer, poet, and teacher, currently a professor at Columbia University's School of the Arts, where he teaches nonfiction. Philip Lopate, welcome. Glad to be here. And Philip, you were um, Gnomes' teacher in elementary school, is that correct? That's right. I'm not sure he remembers me. No, I do. I remember you. I remember... Uh your father and mother and um, PS75 and, you know, I remember sort of the grade you were in. Um, and But um, you seemed like kind of a well-behaved kid at the time, so I don't know what you go out and do. Are you sure it was him? Well, he, he wasn't one of the, the firebrands. He wasn't one of the troublemakers. I was not a troublemaker. Well, what no. do you remember? I just want to verify that he does remember <laughs> you because so far we're getting vague details. Do you, do you remember any details about his father and mother that you could uh, recount? I remember his father had, a, had a, a kind of nightclub in the village. That's right. Wow. Um, that was a kind of Israeli nightclub. Bingo. Wow. Bingo. Man. And I went to it once, you know, and, uh, uh, and I was, you know, I was, I loved that job because I got to know not just the kids, but their parents, you know, and became a part of that whole community, you know, so, and, you know, sort of remained friends with some of the students, not with Noam. Um, no. So well, tell me, tell me what's happened since so and, and my mother, it was my stepmother, Carol... Carol War- Dwarman. Carol Dwarman, yeah. Who I was friendly with, yes. Yeah, she was, uh, she was a guidance counselor at the school. Carol was your father's before Ava girlfriend or, 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 or they wife? Were, they were married. She was like my stepmother. She, she raised me uh, from the ages of uh, around six till, you know, till, till, we, till I got into high school. Never heard of her. She was very smart, and, and I, was, I was really friendly with the guidance counselors uh, because they were the ones who had the full brunt of all the psychological problems that were going on in the school, you know. And so I would sometimes go into the teacher's room and, and or into the guidance council room and chat with her and with uh, Freddie Bolzano. Oh, yeah. I remember Fre- Freddie Bolzano was a tall, black uh, female teacher. She was friends with Carol. Yeah, and I went out with Freddie Bolzano, but never went out with Carol. Oh. <laughs> I just want to... V- Confirm that. Is, is Carol have any? Is she still around, Carol? Yeah, she's still alive. And she has any? Do you have any? Uh, you in, is she in your life at all? I've never heard of this woman. She's not in my life. I, we we communicate by email from time to time. That's too bad that she's not in my life. We had a good relationship, and she was like a, a mother to me for a, a long time. But the the bonds between step parents and um, children are not the same. They they can they can fade in a way that a a biological bond never probably most mostly never does that's just the nature of things well also i assume that her and your father broke up you had to pick sides i mean if it was acrimonious I mean, it wasn't that could have been awkward and i had to pick sides I mean, he, he was my father she was my stepmother it was never a, a a question uh in any case um so this is amazing for me so so mr lopate did we actually call you phil yeah philip phil yeah my friends called me philip and deans called me phil so he was kind of like an amazing, almost like uh, you would make a, 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 a network TV series about this young, hip teacher who connected with the students, who taught us creative writing. I taught, I taught um, creative writing, but I also taught filmmaking, theater, radio. And I had this idea that, um, you know, not every kid wanted to write, you know, so... How do, how do I how do I hook into their energy, you know? And so and so PS seventy five was a was an interesting school in that it had uh, kids whose parents were on welfare and kids whose parents were Columbia professors. Right. It was in the Upper West Side and it was an experiment. And it also had um, classrooms that what they then called were open classrooms. Open corridor. Open corridor. And then they had um, traditional classrooms, all in the same school. So it was a little bit of for every everything for everybody. Yes. What does that mean? What was an open corridor? Open corridor. You know, there was this whole open classroom movement uh, that had to do with uh, sort of like 
giving the kids more power in what they study, having them generate some of their own curriculum, uh, not so much uh, uh, seats in, in regular orders as uh, uh, the kids would sort of fan out over the room. There'd be materials in, in all corners of the room, and, uh, and then there'd be an effort to get the kids into the community. So it was a kind of, a, you could say, um, anti-authoritarian movement in education. I, I remember the open classroom, but what I mainly remember is, yeah, we didn't sit in rows. Exactly. We, there were just tables. And no, so, so this that, is interesting. That's what I, I remember about open What's class. interesting is that these debates that were going on in the education system, they reverberate in, in, until today. And, and, uh, and we'll get into a little bit, but my experience at PS75, which he's right, and I've spoken about this to you guys before, if you remember, it was a very unique school, exactly for what you said. It was like a microcosm. Yes. And everything was going on at the same time. But Open Carter was basically, we, we made our own lessons and, I mean, and we did whatever we wanted. And I was a bright kid and I had bright friends. And I can tell you just, um, if it's interesting, so I excelled in the Open Carter. I, I shot way ahead in math and, and in but... The kids I, who were motivated did much better, yeah. you know. Um, and, and ironically, the open, open Classroom movement was, you know, started in part um, in response to the needs of inner-city kids, you know, uh, who seem to be turned off to school. So the idea was that, okay, um, they'll, they'll write their own readers and then they'll learn how to read by writing, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, they'll, there won't be this kind of uh, traditional education forced down their throats. Um, the irony is that uh, later on, a lot of the uh, uh, parents of color said, uh, you know, why we these kids need discipline, you know? Uh, they need the timetables. Uh, enough of this fooling around. <laughs> well, so, we so did do this. Yeah. So what was interesting is that when I then moved out of uh, what's the matter? No, no, no. I'm just going. So when I when I did move move out of the city and I went to a, like a more traditional school, I found that the open corridor system had left me with no work habits whatsoever. Right. And I could not do my homework. And to this day. I blame the open corridor system for in certain ways that I remain ill-equipped in, in terms of work habits, in terms of the ability to take notes, in terms of do certain skills that really do matter. On the other hand, I had great experience there. So, you know, I... I, I just want to say that um, I, I, coming in as a kind of Pied Piper or uh, showman, you know, was trying to teach the kids uh, how to complete tasks. So, you know... If they started uh, putting on a play, they had to go all the way to the bitter end, you know? And uh, we put on plays at PS75 like... West Side West, Story. West Side Story. And we also put on uh, um, Chekhov's Uncle Vanya, you know? I don't remember that. So um, you, you may have graduated by that time. So the idea was that I, I knew that the kids needed um, better work habits. And one of the ways to do that was to, to take a, uh, something they started and carry it forward, you know? And, and maybe that meant if they were writing that they would put out their own magazines. You know, if they were uh, doing something on radio, they would produce their own radio shows. They would have to complete tasks. I think that is really important. Yeah. So, he, I mean, he, so we're, we're jumping around, but he directed, I believe you directed this, this what production of West Side Story yes, right. uh, at our grammar school. And I mean, I remember to this day, it was a remarkable accomplishment. The greatest West Side Story production. Of the time. <laughs> it, it might have been. I mean, you Much you were really a magic. Movie, yeah. I, I don't know if you re like you're really a magic teacher. And, you know, I and I I meet now still with a bunch of PS75 people, um, and everybody still remembers you. Everybody still talks about you. And we and we also met Miss Blau. Remember Sharon Blau? Of course, Sharon. Who you know she died. She uh, did. She died um, like 15 years ago already, something like that. She, Who was your classroom teacher? Miss Blau. Oh yeah, she yeah. was great. Yeah, she was fantastic. Because it was a time when um, a lot of talent was attracted into teaching. Uh, there were people like Sharon Blau and uh, Esther Rosenfeld, and then there were um, uh, a lot of men because the men were all evading the draft, you know. So you had people like Mike Temple, you know, who were there, yeah. who were, you know, they didn't want to be drafted into the Vietnam War, and so. You, it was a really extraordinary time. And the, the principal... Um, Louis Mercado. Louis Mercado, who was kind of a revolutionary, you know, looked a little bit like, uh, uh, you know, like Che Guevara or something. He and, did. <laughs> and um, he, was, he was like a lot of lefty revolutionaries, which is he loved the people, but he didn't like people, you know. So he didn't, he didn't know how to get along with his teachers. They would leave his, his office in tears, you know. Um, 
but I kind of knew how to handle them, and I, I, you know, I liked him for all his roughness, you know. So, so I mean, I'm actually interested to know how you feel about this thing. So, one of the things that I remember, um, and I, I'm hoping that's John Engel, so we could talk more about the writing and stuff. But, uh, so yeah, my mother, who worked in the school, she didn't like Mr. Mercado at all. No, I mean none of the teachers liked him, yeah. but for understandable reasons, because he really was a kind of a. Uh, a hermit and a misfit, you could say, who ended up being the principal of a school. And also, he, want, he was a wannabe artist. So he was very sympathetic to uh, writers and artists going into the schools, but not to the regular Shlemiel teachers. Uh, is, that, is that my friend? Thanks, oh, great. Do I know who that is? That's Michelle Horowitz, our old friend Michelle. Hey, who's that? This is Mark. He's oh, oh, come on, Michelle. Come in, boyfriend. Come, on. come in, Michelle. <laughs> Come sit down. So, so, okay, so one of the things that I got out of um, my public school education was that it convinced me that the problem with education was not actually in the schools. Because at a very young age, I noticed that the kids like myself were doing well, and the kids who were less fortunate socioeconomically, mostly of color, not were doing very, very poorly. Right. Yet, we, we, yet we had exactly the same resources available to us, exactly the same uh, teachers available to us. And this debate carries forth till today when, people, when, when children are doing badly. They say they need to spend more money in the schools. And I, and I you know, since my PS75 days, so that's not, that's not what's going on. And I can remember being in the fourth grade and wondering, like, what's going on with these kids? Why aren't they behaving? Why aren't they doing their homework? What's going on? What, what's your feeling about all that? Well... There's a lot I could say about that. Certainly, there were there were some very talented uh, uh, kids of color, you know. Uh, of course. But uh, you know, they they had to prove their um, their manhood on the street afterwards, you know, and so they couldn't just uh, uh, be um, you know uh, white adaptive, you could say. Um, and then they, and then often there, you know, there was a, a single mother who was working and. Uh, so there weren't the same conversations around the dinner table. There wasn't the same um, cultural background, you know, the same vocabulary, uh, and they were they were more or less left to themselves a lot. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. But um, anyway, I, I am not. I, I realized I was not going to solve the the problems of of the larger society or education as a whole. I was just going to try to do a good job and to do something exciting in that school. Right, but there but there is. Um, the feeling out there that if only we could fix the schools somehow, that we could overcome these problems. And my and my experience at PS seventy five convinced me that although we can always try to improve the schools, that it's not that easy. That 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 whatever's the it isn't that easy. But I do think the public schools need more money, and I do think that teachers need to be better paid. So, well, this is another thing that you that you alluded to earlier, and this is true. We had the most talented teachers yeah. when I was in school. Right. And I think that's because, and you would know this better than I would, that somehow the barriers to entry were not as uh, onerous then, that, that very talented people like this, this woman, Miss Blau, she went on to be a lawyer, and these other, you know, they would yeah. come and they would teach for a little bit. They were very, very bright. It wasn't, and, and then they didn't need a, a teacher's, degree or whatever it is they could come in and teach for five or six years and then and then pursue other things in life and that seems not uh, well they were said they were they could have been ceos in a different life you that's know, they, right they had a lot of uh, resources you know but one of the things i noticed about uh, the open card or open classroom system was that it worked much better when the teachers had uh, a lot of intellectual resources you know so herbert cole uh who wrote all these books about open classroom uh, had written a book of philosophy before he became a teacher, you know, and so the 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 teachers who had who had a lot of uh, uh, quivers to their bow, you know, um, could afford to facilitate more easily than the teachers who didn't have that much, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's, it works better, you know, um, when the teachers, uh, you know, have a natural authority, because that was one of the problem. How do you establish authority if you are continually trying to de 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 Emphasize your 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 power, you know. It's a Be, kind of paradox. Michelle, you want to we haven't seen Michelle, you in so long. Michelle was one of our early fans. She wrote to us years ago. She had 
written a paper, I think, on humor. In, in my high school. And you haven't. School paper. That was how I oh. pitched. Come call you. I remember you. Yeah, well, she hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> I do, but tell me how. Okay, so. Talk in the mic, Michelle. You, you right, st- she still doesn't right. talk in the mic. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I remember your really face, like, but I'm not, I'm not remembering the circumstances. So, She's the one who, who let me I know that you were still out, around. Yeah. When I did. I left here about five years ago to pursue a master's degree in social work in St. Louis. Well, of course, you went out with Dan Crane. Yes, Dan Crane. Oh, Cranes. my God. You got out of it. You, you, you're lucky, very lucky. Why? No, I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass Dan further than no, I need Dan's to. great. He, we're still friends. Anyway, um, so I did the Skidmore Summer Rider. Right, which I just finished doing a, yeah, a few days Yeah, but ago. it's virtual this year, right? Yeah, it was virtual, weird? but... The, the boys had us come up anyway just to sort oh, really? of hang out in their house. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Okay. So you went down to St. Louis to get a social work degree. Yeah. So you were, I you don't were taking you a course. You were taking a course with. with how, how, did no. you, how did you clue me into the fact? Okay. I don't know. I think I told you. I think I came back, like, maybe one, probably the last time before I left and to say hello. And You said you were taking a course with Philip. And I said, oh, Phil I just got back. I took a, this great writing class with Philip Lopate, who's... And I'm like, is that Phil Lopate? Yeah. yeah. He said, oh, yeah, I was in his class. And then you sent me a picture of the page from being on Being With Children. So this is your book. I'm hoping you'll sign it for me. Yeah, of course, yeah. And, I'm, and, I'm page, and it's just by, <laughs> on page 317. Yeah, there's it, something by you. It says, yeah, it, it, it says, it talks about, no, I'm playing the guitar. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. So I'll read it just for, for my fans. It says, uh, uh, they, were based, they were mostly fourth and fifth graders. The seniors were at graduation practice. Noam was plucking a guitar, and I realized he could play quite well. Hmm. So I put away my idea for the lesson and took them into the writing room to write songs. And then you're talking about writing, writing yeah, well, songs. Yeah, well, one of the things I did was I... And then I, I asked Dan Cranes for your email. What? <laughs> I mean, I... I, I I like the idea of uh, you come in with a, with a lesson plan and then uh, the kids are in a different mood and you just throw it out the window and, you know, um, go with something, some hint. And it was very jazzy. It was like jazz. It was uh, How many of, as you remembered, know him by name, you remembered he played guitar. How many of the kids would you remember? How many of the kids in Noam's class, there were what, 25, whatever kids, how many of those do you think you would still remember to this day? If they did what Michelle did and joggled my memory, I'd remember 90% of them. <laughs> I kept the same email thread open from, this, from the first time I wrote, and you were unavailable. You were having dinner guests, and, like, I wanted to throw it together, like, one last good get before I <laughs> But yeah. it didn't work. Yeah, we but I told myself whenever I was going to come back in town, I was going to make it happen. Oh, that's great. That's great. And then Lou emailed me. I don't know how Lou you Whitsky. know Lou at Sirius. Lou Whitsky at Sirius. She knows I him, him, she knows him from when she's oh, out. She used to come okay. every week with us. And Periel and I have crossed paths already from a totally different... So, Michelle, <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your connection with comedy? Just a big... Just a nerd. Groupie. Yeah. Like, well, I wouldn't use the word group. No, fan, yeah, super, super no, fan, super, super fan. Just a good, yeah, just I mean, in general, I, I, you know. I wanted to sit at that table. She was an early John Mulaney. Uh, Big fan. Oh, my God. <laughs> You've introduced him to me, and you tried to fix me up with, like, Colin Jost once, I remember. You were like, hey, Colin, she's single. <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love the comic and literature and film and anything. You know, I mean, I just, I always feel like, you know, when I'm writing, if 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 I can still smile or laugh at something after I've read it 15 times, then I know that it is good. You, you thought know. my piece was pretty funny. Yeah, I li- I'm, well, I, I'm, I'm very drawn to I have this weakness as a teacher, which is that if the students write something that's very solemn and grim, I'm not interested in it, you know, especially if it's self-pitying, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think sense of humor is really important. Philip, you had alluded to we need to teach, uh, pay teachers more. Uh, do you think I want to ask Noam this question because Noam, you're a businessman. Do you think teachers are underpaid? Is there such a thing as being underpaid, or just the teachers? Mark is a teacher. Bring him in here. Well, we can bring him in here. Um, I, do, I think that uh, uh, I don't. I don't know enough about that. I, I I think that when teachers were such as we were discussing before, where they they did teaching for a short period in life but didn't intend to make it a career that uh, the money wasn't quite as important because they didn't see it as a, as a permanent thing. I, if people are going to make a, a, an entire career out of teaching and we want to have the best teachers, then it has to pay competitively. Yeah, it, it has well, to. Well, in, thir- in the 30s, you know, uh, you know, it was a good job for people who were uh, children of immigrants, let's say, and weren't going to get any other kind of job to do. And then 
in the 60s, it was more like uh, the Peace Corps. It was something that idealistic people would do for a while, you know? That's right. And they still do it in Teach for America, you know? Um, but, but um, you know, the, it, as you say, it's not necessarily a lifelong career. Yeah. It's now, if we had to cut out one department at the school, we're looking to save money, somebody's got to go. <laughs> what would you, where would you start cutting? The music department? Yeah, definitely math. <laughs> well, something I feel like I picked up... In the mic, Michelle. You okay, haven't changed. In, I know. In the book, uh, Being with Children, I feel like I picked up on a piece where there was a lot of funding for the arts, but there weren't, no, there weren't really any indicators or outcomes. Like, you couldn't, like, measure success in the right. arts. Right. They and want, they wanted accountability. They wanted to some kind They of, want data. They wanted data. They wanted some kind of mathematical thing. And... Um, and, and many a time that I, I bluffed and wrote grant proposals and pretended that, you know, we were, it was all very scientific. Uh, but in fact, it, was, it, was, it really was, uh, uh, you know, flying by the seat of our pants, and sometimes great things came from it, you know? Like, like, making, like making art, you know? What'd you say, Michelle? Well, I was hoping my boyfriend, Mark Sauer, who works as a um, public school teacher in the Ferguson Florissant District in uh, St. Louis, hmm. but he's oh. a bit shy, and he went and uh, went to the dog park instead. Tell him we can put a blur on his face <laughs> and, and digitally change his, his voice. And he went to the dog, literally went to the dog. He's not he was like, I'm going to go check out Washington Square Park. Okay. I thought went to the dog park might be a, a phrase, a term no, of no, art. No, <laughs> Like out to lunch. No, that's just the text that I got. Anyway. Oh, okay. So go ahead, Dan. Talked about pay. Well, no, I was just, yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, like when I think of the things that I learned in school, when I think... All the crap. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Bruce Springsteen said he learned more from a three-minute record than he ever learned in school, but probably an exaggeration. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we don't use most of what we learned in school. So how can we, not to saying it's not valuable, but how do we then, how do we assess the value of an education when most of the stuff is forgotten? Most of it, Certainly most of the stuff I learned in European history in high school is, is completely gone. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's a piece of the puzzle or a step, you know, so these things are, are necessary even if you then forget them because they, they're all connected in a way, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't think it's... I don't, I don't really believe that um, education has to be relevant, you know? I mean, we can't teach kids anything that they're not, that's not immediately relevant to their 2022 lives. That doesn't make sense to me, you know? I mean... I'm, I'm, I shouldn't use myself as an example, but when I was, a, you know, like, let's say 13, 14 years old, I started reading Russian novels, you know, and, and um, I didn't know what the word troika meant. I didn't know uh, what a samovar was. Um, so it wasn't relevant to my life in Brooklyn at that time. Um, but I was, I was being stretched into things that were not my life, you know. I was learning something different, you know. And, I, and so I don't think that that, that the only thing that you that, that education should be giving you is something that you can use immediately. Although if I had to pick one thing that, that I learned that I do use, it's typing. Yes. My that father typing my is father a very valuable typing. skill. Typing, yeah. And and, typing and obviously class. reading. What's that? I took a typing class but I learned copy paste in that class and then mm. we didn't, <laughs> didn't but, but I, I think what uh, Phil is saying is that if the if your education excites you about learning yeah. and uh, and and makes you, creates a curious gives you a curious mind then that carry that stays with you for the rest of your life yes um, as I get older I wonder if we're not born with those traits more than we realize um, but nevertheless I, I think that's right yeah I mean go ahead no I mean to me like what makes what makes an artist or a writer is is um, the propensity to generate questions. It's not to find answers. It's, mm -hmm. it's that after you finish something, then you generate another question, you know? So that kind of desire to learn more, you know? Uh, I mean, I've, I, you know, I've written about 15 books, but I'm still generating questions and trying to write something different, you know? That was some of the criticism you gave me on my piece in that class. What? Was that I tied it up in a nice, neat bow. I, went, I never told you guys, but I went through a really traumatic event here in New York. And this was a... Not on my account, I hope. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not on my account. Do you remember the story? Not really. No, okay. Um, I was hospitalized for um, a psychiatric episode. I had a manic episode. 
right. and then became diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And there's a lot of history of mental illness in my family. So it, it just really affected everyone. So I wanted to process that before I was leaving for St. Louis with like a, I wanted to go back to Melora Wolf's class. I took oh. her class and she had the art of the personal essay. Mine. I, know and I saw that name there and then your name at the school. I was like, well, I got to do that. <laughs> so I went to the um, Writers Institute to do that and process that. And the feedback at the end was that I, I went through this horrible you know, trauma of depression. I was expressing, expressing like what it really felt like. And then um, I tied it up in a neat book. And now I'm going to What does that mean, tied it up in a neat book? St. Louis. Yes. And starting, I survived. I'm never going to struggle again with this. No, I often tell my students, like, uh, that's something good for your your mom and your friends, but not for the reader. The reader doesn't care um, if you're okay now. The reader wants tension to the very end. And then the the reader is amoral, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, and does not really care whether you've pulled through or survived. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's him. So one of the things I'm, I'm hoping that's my friend John Engel. So John Engel's mother was Lenore Engel. She was active in the school system. Maybe you know it. it you don't remember, but he and I were, were very very close. Is that who is that? You just let them in. Michelle's boyfriend, probably back from the dog park. So cause it, can you just call down and see if it's John Engel? Because if it is, I want to hold this off until what, what I'm about to say until he gets up here. I remember the name Lenore Engel. Lenore Engel, yeah. She was, uh, and, and the, the father was the cover editor of Newsweek magazine. He was quite an important uh, man at the time. That's him? Okay. So good. To so, here he is. <laughs> so, so, the listener, this is... Uh, yes, exactly. Come here, Johnny. So, this is my friend, John Engel. He is my oldest friend. Hey, John. <laughs> I get sentimental every time I talk about him. Here we go back. So we've been friends since we were three years old. And we have a birthday one day apart. What's this? Oh, he's got the spicy meatballs. Oh, there's a spicy meatball. We have a birthday one day apart. My birthday is the 17th. His birthday is the 18th of July. That's the one that's rare. That's the one that... So we'll, we'll explain spicy people oh, okay, in a second. Yeah. So these he, John has brought in copies of the uh, creative writing magazines that that Mr. Lopate edited, kind of, and, and uh, uh, elicited from us young kids. And um, but anyway, as, as far as my friend Johnny goes, so we were very very close friends, and at the time, we knew we were close friends. But only as I got older, I realized what a <laughs> I can't talk about it. Anyway. Well, it's a good thing we're still close friends. Mm-hmm. I can't even account for getting emotional like that. Anyway, we're very close friends at, at a, in a way that people don't have, like my kids don't have friends like that. And I didn't realize it at the time. We were like brothers, you know, and we're friends to this day. So anyway. And you went to school together and you both yeah. had. Miss Blau. Were you talking to the mic? Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah, we went to PS75 yes. together. Okay. Lived in the same building. Okay. So we spent an awful lot of time together. I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm our, where, where our, do you live? Where our do you 60th live now? birthday is coming up. Maybe that's why Brooklyn. I'm getting emotional in about Brooklyn? it. It's a lot of years. <laughs> so anyway, Mr. Lopate, he, he really treated us like we were not little kids. And we would, we would say stuff, right? And we would write stuff. And, and, he, and, he, and he wasn't faking it. He seemed actually to be energized by our ideas, by the things we were writing. He seemed to really enjoy them, not in a way that he was, you know, just, uh, you know, for the sake of teaching. You, you agree? And, and this memory, I was telling that we meet with some kids from, four, from uh, PS75. We are no longer kids. Uh, no, no longer kids. <laughs> and this memory has stayed with us to this very day. Is that, is that? Oh, yeah. Talk, talking to Mike's one. Yes. <laughs> no, well, you give your... Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think we were actually pretty fortunate that um, my feeling has always been that PS75 was a particular time and place. Like it probably could have only happened on the Upper West Side in the like 1970, 71, 72. And right after the um, Oceanville, Oceanville, Brownsville strike and everything like that. Oh yeah. It was part of that whole Was that the teacher strike when we were in first grade? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. I can tell by my brief time with Mr. Lopate that this man was born to work with young people. <laughs> well, you can't imagine well, what, it, what it was like. I have to tell you, I mean, just lo- I don't know when yeah. the last time anyone has looked through these. Hmm. The writing is amazing. So do you have any essays you can read for us? I have very few. Well, maybe just an extra. Oh, it's Perry L's fault that you had the day the 14th, That's probably, but I'll, oh, we'll, okay. we'll talk about that later. You I, know, mean, I mean, so much of it is... So, so picking that up. Do you know that Karen Cornblue was one of your students as well? I don't know if you know who she is. No. She became a very important uh, um, intellectual, and for a while she was, there were articles, she was very close with Barack, Barack Obama, and there was even oh. one article, I think in the Atlantic, they called her Obama's brain. Oh, God. She's a super smart. So she was the, the biggest star to come out of PS75 uh-huh. at uh, that time? Well, and also one of the, one of the people here, in KISS. Uh, John Cryer. John Cryer, the actor? Yeah, John Cryer, and um, my name is Luca. I live on... Oh, oh, um, Suzanne Vega. Suzanne Vega. Vega. Yeah. Wow. But yes, probably the biggest star was uh, uh, Mr. Klein, a substitute who went on to uh, take the stage name Gene Simmons. Oh, wow. I will now, be I done. Know. No, no, that's Chaim Witz. Chaim Witz. <laughs> he was a substitute. Take, take a chair, to here. Did a, you? I mean, he's an he's, evolution. Heimwitz. Did you have um, him? No, but a friend of mine did, and said he used to bring in comic books, and mm. that's how he knew. Do you remember him? It was, yeah. Well, we had a whole comic book club at PS seventy five because there were kids who all they wanted to do was to make comic books. So we started a comic book club. Do you it have was, any of the movies? The all comic edition, and oh, it says yeah. dedicated to comic lovers everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things is that I. I didn't like to talk to kids the way adults talk to kids, you know. I mean, I, I, I thought, you know, they're individuals, they're people, and, you know, I wanted to treat them like people. You, know? you strike me as a fan of Mr. Rogers. You seem to have a very similar philosophy to him. Well, well I don't have his sweaters or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, and also, uh, after I wrote Being With Children, uh, you know, the people from all over the world started uh, visiting the classroom where I was teaching, and some of them, I remember these Swedish... Um, tourists, they were shocked because I, I got angry at these kids and I tossed them out of the room and they thought, oh, I was like Mr. Rogers, you know, what's he doing getting so angry? But, you know, uh, <laughs> I was just trying to be a human being, you know, including anger, it's part of it, you know. I, I think uh, on the Upper West Side that mm-hmm. was... <laughs> a that better was thing we, to do than... Yeah. Yeah, I know. So, you, I mean, basically, you know... Can I ask you something? Uh, from uh, One time I remember my fifth grade teacher, um, Barry Shear. Um, he meant well. Um, he told me, because I was a disruptive child. Were you, Dan? I certainly was. Um, and he once told me that I was a pain in his ass. Um, and then he used to, um, he didn't let me go to lunch with the other kids, because it had every time I had to do a writing thing where I had to write, like, I will not talk in class, oh, or I, I will not interrupt the teacher, and I had to write it like 100 times, or 200 times, or 300 times. <laughs> yes, I know. And any time I was in... In the midst of one of those, I was not allowed to eat in the cafeteria with the kids. I had to eat upstairs in the classroom with Mr. Shear. Um, was this good teaching? <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, did you, did you have a good time with Mr. Shear? No, I would have preferred to be in the cafeteria with the kids, uh-huh. but I couldn't be. Now, I'm not saying I wasn't disruptive. I'm not saying I didn't interrupt him. I, uh, but was this the right approach? Probably not. I mean, again, he did the best as he could, but... Pedagogically speaking, if that's the word. That is yeah. the word, I think. <laughs> it was this the right approach, I asked you, Mr. Lopez. No, I would How not. do you handle a kid like me? Well, sit on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, the thing is, Dan, a lot of teachers, in my opinion, a lot of teachers, like the general population, are not that gifted. They don't, they, they don't have great personalities. They're not creative. And, and there's not much they could do with you. Mr. Lopez was a particularly gifted Man, and he, so he had the tools to, to excite us and to and to, to motivate us. I think That's he should rare. have medicated me. In general, there's too much. There's just too much emphasis on discipline, in in education schools, and and uh, if you can move past it quickly, it's much better than you know trying to. Is there such a thing in your in parent, opinion? In parenting too? By the way, I think that's what? right. I think that's that's good in advice for parents. Too, yeah. Is there such a thing in your opinion as a, just a bad kid, or every kid you should mean, be a bad seed? You a know, bad or seed, or is every kid like savable? Village of the damned, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. No. Is, is there any kid that you would say this kid's a piece of shit? I'm I'm done with him. Well, I do think that we don't love all kids equally. You know, that's just the truth of it. 
Probably parents don't love all the so, kids. So I'm looking at my writing in, in the fourth grade and Karen Kornblue's writing in yeah, the fourth okay. grade, and, and hers is quite superior. But you, oddly enough, even in the fourth grade, no one was talking about Chinese kids at Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a, mine starts... Uh, it's an inside called, joke. It's called Needix, <laughs> in the, Needix and Rain. Anybody know what Needix is? Needix um, is like a, a fast food joint on uh, Broadway and what, what street? And an orange, orange drink and hot dogs. Yeah. Orange drinks and hot dogs. I won't read it. says across 110. So this is interesting. So we played this song with my band. Across 110. Across 110. Across 110. Yeah. It says across 110th Street is still playing at the Riverside. Riverside was um, a, theater, a, yeah. a movie th a movie theater. Riverside. This was you were in fourth grade when you were writing this? I guess fourth grade. Elise is saying, look look what just passed. I see liquor in the liquor store. Now we're in Needix. I guess it was a stream of consciousness lesson. No, what happened was I took the kids out for walks to get them to to be observant, you know, to write, you know, and so... I, I did do some stream of consciousness. I also did some, some walking around stuff, you know. Um, and, and these are kind of like basic, you know, how to get them to, to just keep writing and writing instead of being so uh, tense about what they wrote. I just want them to, you know, loosen up and do a lot of writing. You know, I do think that the professors and the teachers that I remember most clearly are the ones who inspired me to be creative. And I, I don't think it's so much about what you're teaching necessarily but right. uh, there are certain professors i mean for me specifically english professors that and art teachers that really i remember so clearly because that's that's what they did right well, uh, just just to give mr lope to phil uh just a little bit of background uh Peril's a writer uh, as well Right. And she's written some books about her sexual awakening. No, that's not what my books are about at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not even remotely about that. You know, I, I, did, a, <laughs> I did a lesson with, with kids where I, in, in Mr. Temple's class where I asked them to pretend that they were losing their minds and going crazy, you know? Ooh. And, and um, I just wanted to see what would happen, you know? <laughs> and they just staggered around the room and, you know, and then they sat down and wrote, you know, what it felt like to lose your mind, you know? Um, what? <laughs> exactly. See. But but she wrote. But but you were you were asking the, your your students to pretend, whereas Michelle was talking about a real. Well, she had a leg up on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I you know I'm 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 zoning out. I don't. I, this might not be that interesting to people listening, but I'm I'm reading things that I wrote in the fourth grade, and I just I just can't believe to to see this stuff. How smart you were, you mean? No, it's not, it's not good. I mean, Karen Cornblue's writing is just excellent. The grown-up was writing a map when I peeked into his window. A cat was trying to play, what she says here, in kids' land. And she, she puts the apostrophe at the end of the S in kids, you know, right. for the plural. I wouldn't have known that in the first Well, you know, grade. one of the things I felt was like... <laughs> Sounds very literary. Yeah, in kids' land. But on the other hand, her, her guitar playing is rather shoddy. Yeah. She says, in kids' land, we love animals and try to treat animals like people. But in adult land, people always manage to stop us. And then she has an asterisk, and at the bottom says, have you ever had a frog and a rattlesnake to dinner? It's not too much fun. <laughs> I mean, this girl was bright. This really is fourth bright. grade. Well, well, I had the idea that, that all the kids should be encouraged to, to write poetry or to write stories, but not every kid is going to be a poet, you know? Yeah. It's a mistake to think that every, every child is a natural poet. You know, would that that was so? No, probably the same proportion of poets among kids as there are among adults. You'll be happy to know, by the way, Noam is still plucking away at that guitar, and he's just about got it. Ah. <laughs> You're singing? I'll sing a little bit. But I actually was a superior Hebrew school teach, a student to uh, uh, Karen Cornblue, okay. according to my Hebrew school teacher. Well, so. she didn't have the motivation yeah. for that. Well, also, you know, this is a little aside, but I'm a terrible speller and a terrible speller to this day. Do you think that correlates to intelligence in some way? To early dementia, maybe. <laughs> early, <laughs> I could not. I, I, he's a good speller. You're, you're, you're pretty good. Johnny and Jonathan, what are you up to these days? Uh, in the mic, in the mic. Oh, he, uh, doing a, a few things for work, but actually trying to, believe it or not, write kids' music. Oh. And I played in a band a number of years ago. Lovely. Uh, kind of a. He has project. excellent kids' songs. Um, we were supposed to record them, and I got sidetracked, <laughs> but uh, he's he's quite There's gifted. Still time. But no, I thought. Did you believe in kids' music? Melodically speaking, can kids not appreciate uh, music that adults appreciate? Or do you mean that the, 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 the lyrics are for kids? Or the, the lyrics are for kids. Yeah. The, the lyrics are for kids, but musically, like songs like, like a Banana Phone and these How does that one go, Dan? But banana Phone. <laughs> it's a little patronizing. I'm saying, like, can kids, can, kids, can kids, in your opinion, should you, when you're writing music for kids, should you, should you be writing at the same level melodically as you do for adults? You know, I got to tell you that one of the, no. one, one of the <laughs> assignments that, 
This sort of a classic assignment um, for writing is uh, you bring in some records and, and ask the kids to write to the music, you know, and sort of the assumption is that program music will get them going and have them imagining forests and all that kind of stuff. And it just so happened that um, kids are, very, you know, they, they pick up on things so quickly. So, um, so I put on a Tchaikovsky record. It just so happens I don't like Tchaikovsky. And I do like Bach. And, and, and they, they were turned off to the Tchaikovsky and they were turned on to the Bach because they sensed something about the mm -hmm. way I put the, the LP on the phonograph. They read your vibe. They read the vibe, exactly. Well, maybe they just like Bach. Maybe they like Bach. Uh, maybe, you know. Well, I'll West tell you Bach. one thing about my kids. <laughs> they love the Beatles, right? They love the Beatles. When they hear I want to hold your hand, it just fills them with, with joy. Yeah. And if I put on a, a Paul McCartney solo record, even if I tell them it's they the Beatles, cry. no, no, they, they're not interested <laughs> in it. No. They can tell the difference, they're, especially with these early exuberant Beatles songs. Kid res, kids respond very much to that, uh, the exuberance of it all. And they're, and, they're, and they're pretty sophisticated listeners, I believe. I mean, maybe not, you know, it's bebop, It's interesting thing as a parent when you try to uh, shove all this culture down their throat, you know, and some of this they take and some of it... They don't want any part of you. Know. It really is so interesting, this concept of treating kids like adults. I mean, I feel like you do that a lot. You really talk to your kids like they're not. Like, and I treat you like a child right, sometimes. You <laughs> but I want to tell you something. There's a very famous YouTube, YouTube clip of Gore Vidal having a conversation with Maurice Sendak. Has anybody seen it? No, but I did see the video of Gore Vidal talking with... Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen when he asked him when he <laughs> what did he ask him? he said he asked him about like hair care yeah, products. Yeah, he said so. What is it like being a famous author and then also having all of these hair salons? Oh, like he was referring to Vidal <laughs> session. <laughs> yeah. so, so Gore Vidal and Maurice Sendak were apparently very good friends, and he said to Maurice Sendak, "What possessed you to write all of these children's books and where the wild things are in this as a children's book?" Mm -hmm. And Maurice Sendak said, "Well." It was never meant to be a children's book. It mm. was just that my right. agent said that, like, this would be the best way that we could sell this. Now, your agent never said, on my knees would be good for children. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. Although my agent does represent some pretty uh, well-known children's book authors, mm -hmm. so you never know. So, no, yeah, I have. A, I do speak to my kids. Yeah, you I, I don't talk down to my kids. I speak to them like I, I presume they can understand No, you speak stuff. down to me, not yeah. to your kids. But th I think that's because I always felt like when I was a kid, I was able to understand Well, you said stuff. that about your dad, too. You said he always took you everywhere and treated you like... An adult, right? Yeah, he always took me everywhere, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, there's limits to that. They are children at the end of the day. No, I don't. I can't mean, we've, got, we've had... Anything, you know. I'm sorry? You can't take him to the brothel, you know. <laughs> no, I can't take him to the brothel. <laughs> I'll tell you, this Phil Lopate is all right by me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think he's a very special guy. I just think that they're... That this, like, you were born for... I said it earlier, but... There's only so many Philip Lopates in the world. So we got to fill up... We got to staff these schools. We're going to have to... No, no, we can. We, I mean, we can't get all Phil Lopates in the school. I did a lot of teacher training also, and you can pull a lot out of teachers. You know, I mean, the thing about um, writers, for instance, is a lot of writers hate to teach. Not every good writer is a good teacher. Um, so it's actually kind of rare for somebody. I mean, so I really like teaching. I like the, I like the, the psychological aspects of it. You get a, a group of students in a in a room, and you never know if they're going to gel Yeah, but you push not. Michelle over the edge. <laughs> yeah, they, they can go too far. They can go too far sometimes, yeah. I like teaching. I had a fellowship to Wait, graduate. Wait, finish this off. Oh, no, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, no, I thought you were done, please. I am. Okay. I, no, I, I got a teaching fellowship to go to graduate school, and for creative writing, that seems like a good idea to not get into, you know, so much debt. But I really enjoyed teaching. Um, but I think that as a writer, I felt like you have to make a decision, and that's a difficult because you pour so much into teaching to be a good teacher. Like oh. you really put your soul into it and in reading other people's work. And but until you, until you can make a living from your writing, which maybe never, you need another day job. Right. You know? Yep. Did and you read the world according to Garp? Yeah, of course. You know, I have. I'm not a huge reader of of literature, but boy, I love that book, and I love John. Are you are you a fan of John Irving's? I like that book too. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I can't get enough of that book. I could read it over and over. Anyway, um, non sequiturs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just be talking about. Um, I wonder if you have grandkids. No, you you know what? You made me think of it mm -hmm. because in Garp, 
He was a teacher. It, was he a teacher? His, he was a teacher, and his wife was a teacher, and she had an affair with a student, and they were t- teaching Milton, and a thing about pouring all the energy into teaching. So it wasn't it wasn't wow. it wasn't a total non sequitur. Okay, actually, okay. it connected the dots. Well, I saw the movie. It was in and out in two hours. No. Yeah, I have a daughter who's twenty seven years old. Okay, so no grandchildren yet. So, so you like Noam? Were uh, you know, had kids a little bit later? I had them like one. Late, yes. Well, he was working his way through all the teachers at PS75. <laughs> <laughs> he, went out, he went out with Miss Balzano. Did you? Yes. A lovely woman who is no longer with us anymore. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I'm sorry to I, hear that. You'd, I, I, honestly, I feel like uh, everyone at 75 was a great person. They like, were. And, and it, was, it was funny because there were the... the um, the progressive teachers, and then there were the old battle axes, and I liked the battle axes too, you know? They were, I, uh, they were strong, you know? One of the key moments in my education was when it was determined that uh, the progressive classroom was just a little too unstructured for me. Yes. Um, and I was banished to uh, Mr. Brendel's. Oh, I know it well. I know. <laughs> sixth grade. He was like the army sergeant. Uh, yeah. Well, you needed that. Yeah. Well, he ended up killing himself, though, so yes. I don't know how much you had to do with that. <laughs> After having, I'll tell you, Mr. Lopez, he's got a bit of a dark edge. You wouldn't think so. <laughs> so let me tell you, yeah. just as an aside, what a different time it was. So John's father, who I said before you came, was a cover editor of Newsweek magazine. And he was responsible for many iconic Newsweek covers, mm. um, uh, uh, especially during the Watergate era. Mm. And uh, there was, and I remember we'd go over to Johnny's apartment, and his father would be working on them, or he would have the, the they, they would they would take photographs of clay, clay sometimes. Sometimes they were sculpture. And he would do sketches of like there was one famous one of Nixon uh, uh, on a stormy sea on the presidential seal and things mm-hmm. like this, and that was all. How his, long can he stay afloat? How long can, can he stay afloat? Can he stay afloat? Oh, and uh, so, and his, his father was a gifted artist, but um, in those days, every you know things were printed and. Things moved much more slowly. And when my father was marrying Carol, who we just spoke about before, um, his, his father's wedding present to my father was right, was right before the 1972 election. And in those days, they didn't know who was, if, because they didn't know who was going to win, and they needed time to prepare to put out a magazine, they had to prepare a cover for either, either scenario. scenario. Oh my and God. there were a few test printings McGovern? of the yes. Newsweek McGovern wins, the great upset. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So and he presented my father with a Newsweek cover of McGovern winning the presidency. And that was his father's gift. How, what how long was your present. father at Newsweek? How long? Until, was until what year? Until about 85. From you know, it was because of that Eagleton, um, Eagleton, oh, Eagleton experience that, that I taught that class where I had the kids pretend to be losing their minds because I was so disturbed by the idea of this country couldn't deal with somebody who had gone into therapy, my God, you know, um, they, that this country was so, had such weird notions about mental So it's a lot easier so, to get uh, so thrown off the ticket in those days. Eagleton was McGovern's first choice for a running mate, is that what it was? Yeah, he was on the ticket, and then he, and then... Um, Turns out he got to therapy. Say, I, I was 10, you should ask oh, could be. Mr. Lopate. What? I said, I was 10, you should ask Mr. Lopate. Yeah, no, I mean, he was, he was on the ticket, and then... Um, it came out that he had had some kind of um, nervous breakdown when he was much younger, and then he went into therapy. And this was this this was uh, seized upon by the Republicans as though you know he, he can't possibly become vice president. So then um, McGovern, who was essentially um, a decent man, nevertheless uh, acceded to pressure and kicked him off. And uh, and like Muskie cried in those days. Muskie, Muskie cried, and he and he was considered to be done. I can't think of a better job for somebody with anxiety than the vice president. It's easy, you know. It's built in, yeah. The, You're not doing a whole lot, right? I mean, unless you unless God forbid the president dies, then you have to do that. Yeah. I mean, how stressful is it to be vice president? Is what I'm getting at. I don't know. I don't know. Ask Pence. <laughs> He's probably still. I mean, you know. well, I would say that's waitressing at the at the olive tree would be a lot. More uh, difficult for somebody with anxiety. I would Listen, say. mental mental issues are much more common than we ever realized. Right. Uh, Yitzhak Rabin, you know the yeah. Israeli prime. Well, he was under tremendous pressure. He had a nervous yeah, breakdown. Yeah, but he was also under okay, well, but absurd levels of pressure. Churchill didn't have a nervous breakdown. The point is that, that, that what I'm saying is this great hardened leader. Yeah. 
yes. had a nervous breakdown. Wow. Yeah, and Porter. it was kept a secret, Scott. but it came out afterwards. And then he became prime minister again after that. But um, Michelle has something she'd like to express. So because of my experience with mental illness and the intergenerational passing of mental illness, I've gone on to try to intervene as early as possible. So I pursued a social work degree, but I work at Washington University Division of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and I actually treat preschool onset depression. Hmm. And and I do parent-child therapies all the time, and I know a lot about child development. So anything you want to ask me about. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> how does depression manifest no, you, itself? And I study parenting. How does depression manifest itself? I remember as an uh, as a preschooler, well, I don't know how old I was precisely, but I remember hearing about death, you know, yeah. whatever age I happened to be, yeah. and utterly horrified by the idea. And I remember just at, at night lying in bed thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to just be no, dead. No, I, I have a five-year-old client. Forever. Now, but is this normal or is was this child-onset depression? In your, uh, how normal? It, it, would that have been normal behavior for somebody five, six years old to be thinking about There's death? Di- I mean, different kids will, like kind of obsess over death but kids with depression will think about ways to die i mean like can i step out into traffic can i hold my breath for a really long time even even at a preschool age yes that was suicide is and they'll meet adult criteria there are people that will meet adult criteria for preschool onset depression but we don't see necessarily see suicide in that age group yes you do at even as young as five or six yes Hmm, Indeed, yes. It's very, it's, I mean, it's, that area is not actually my super expe- expertise. That is a, co- a colleague at Washington University, Joan Luby. She basically discovered preschool onset depression and then created a treatment built on another treatment. So I'm trained in that treatment. So, so, so for, for parents, what are the telltale signs or the danger signs that your child might be prone to depression and needs early intervention? So in children and in men, depression is more likely to be exhibited as like irritability and anger, quick to anger. Um, and they, and some they still have anhedonia, which is you know lack of um, pleasure. Pleasure, yeah, can't experience pleasure. They don't play. They don't really have as fun, much fun. They're not interested in other. Ki- I mean. It's, I, I would imagine that if you're depressed at five, six years old, it's probably a biological. You're probably your parents. Are, uh, I mean, I did I re- listened to the one. You, who was the economist you had on the other day? It was about parenting. Ryan Kaplan, yeah. Yeah, I disagreed with a lot of it, what he said, because so much of it is in psychiatry. I mean, it's the inter, it's genes. It's nurture and nature. It's never right. one or the other. Absolutely. Your genes are triggered like... I guess I could tell you my personal story, and no one, no one else really knows too much about this, but, like, my psychiatrist personally believes that my episode of mania was triggered by a predisposition to mental health il- issues, and at the time, I was smoking a lot of pot. And That'll pot yeah. triggered a chemical reaction. Now, there is a, a diagnosis of, um, what's it called? Marijuana-induced psychosis. But I passed the length of time when the marijuana was out of my system, and I was still manic. So I was hospitalized for like a full month, and then on FMLA for fo- the following month. And I, yeah, and your insurance pay for that? I was working at. Can I not? I was working at a corporation um, that had really good benefits, so it's actually it was like perfect timing. If you're ever going to have an episode like that, like I really lucked out. Sucks it was in this city. <coughs> this explains <laughs> a lot, actually. I wonder what happened to you while you disappeared, while we never heard from you. Well, she was only in there for a month. <coughs> no, but I mean, you know, she. That was when I was 20. That was 2012. I was 20, um, 25 or something. That was before. <coughs> before. Not COVID. Yeah, I didn't reach out to you guys until. I was still working at I was working at this photo studio, and I would listen to pod- podcasts constantly. I mean, I went through and audiobooks. I went through Jane Austen's entire canon. I didn't read a single Jane Austen book in college. Went through her entire canon in the way she she <laughs> wrote it. So I was like starving. It's like that's mental illness all by itself. <laughs> I was no way. I'm kidding. Don't you like? Come on. I do like Jane Austen. Absolutely. How can you not like Jane Austen? Yeah. She's very funny. Um, 
So are you, are you living now in St. Louis? Or? Yeah, I live in St. Louis, and I, you know, I actually, my role is kind of like, it's in, I work for the Division of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, but I work as a, uh, also as a clinical care coordinator for, it's kind of like at a small nonprofit funded by the St. Louis County Children's Service Fund, and we're called the Synchrony Project, and we work with the St. Louis County Family Court System to make developmentally informed recommendations for how to prevent uh, maltreatment recidivism. So we, so they've already entered, the parents have already entered the child welfare system, and we don't want the kids to have to go through this again. Right. Yeah. So, we, so we make recommendations from, from the child's per point of view, because children who have special needs or who have any kind of issues that they need, need to be treated, um, those are, they're more likely to be abused or neglected. Then you've got the parents and their issues that they may have. Like we, we try to meet any unmet mental health needs of parents or children, so we try to remove that as a barrier to reunification. Um, and then we, I often find myself working working a lot with the foster families mm -hmm. um, and trying to stabilize mm -hmm. the placement because I don't want the kids to be circled around, passed around over and over. I mean, I, it's tragic when that happens. Wow. Uh all right, we're, we're just about out of, no, <laughs> I can really bring down a room. I mean, <laughs> I really can. I'm interested in this stuff. I mean, I, you know, Felicia's, we had a very good, I had a very good friend of mine who was also a very important figure in the place here who had mental illness and he, he killed himself recently. So this oh, I'm is, so yeah, sorry. he jumped, jumped off a bridge. It was a horrific thing. And then another thing just three weeks ago, in my wife's family, very, a, a very close friend, a, a, a policeman shot himself in the head and killed himself. So these uh, me mental issues are um, we've all, all around We've all us. experienced it on some level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and Suicides have always... I was president of the Suicide Prevention Club in, in my high school. Like, that, that particular um, phenomenon has always really felt so preventable. Um, and I don't think it's always that... A suicide may be caused by mental illness. I think there's it's a feeling of being trapped and you're out of you're out of options. There's nothing else in the world. If you're having a mental health issue, it might be like there's no way I'm ever going to feel better. Yeah, it's a it's a kind of um, entrapment by pattern. You oh you see you see and pattern. there's a amount of impulsivity that's a part of it too. You kind of have to act on that impulse, like because it can flee. You probably have all thought long day. It. Yeah, long they day. sometimes say. Yeah, that was a long day, yeah. Suicide is an issue that you've thought a lot about, Dan. <laughs> it is? Yes, yes, it is. You've spoken about it. Well, no, what I've said was is that I, I said at some point I wouldn't rule out the possibility of my life ending that way uh, because I don't feel like suffering some of the slings and arrows that might accompany um, the end of life, you know. I mean, like the sickness and things the like sickness that. The and, sickness and, and the... the so you, you never feel suicidal from depression? No, I, I don't. But I feel like that when I see people going through horrible things, illnesses, and, 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 and you know... Now that's almost a rational kind of suicide. You know? but the, yes, it would be. Rational. Yeah. The but the people they... Life. Pardon? The quality of life. Well, the, the quality, quality of life, life is no longer there. Yeah. There were, I, just, I just read this book... Uh, by Amy Bloom called uh, In Love, where she writes about her husband uh, had dementia and he decided to end his life. And she had to uh, go to Zurich to, to do a true assisted suicide because it's not that easy to do in this country. Yeah. Did Dr. Kevorkian go to jail? I think he did, yeah. I think he did go to jail. He, what he did was is he, he videotaped himself um, assisting a man with ALS he invented this machine where the, the man, I think, was able to just flick a switch, but he would set it up for the guy, and right. he would, like, inject something. And all the guy had to do was turn. And he did a whole video. He's like, okay, just letting you know that if once you do this, you will die. Is that okay? Just sign here. And, and he recorded all this, uh, and, and, he, and, he, and he made the video public and, because he wanted to press the issue. And they, they threw him in jail for it. I don't know how much time he did. I'm looking right now. Um, he said that he assisted 130 pe patients. Um, hey, he died. Yeah, All right. he's not alive anymore. Uh, so 
Mr. Lopate, we called you Phil. It's even, even you know, I remembered calling you Phil in the, in the uh, spicy oh, meatball. It, I, it, my my essay refers to Phil. Oh, Phil everybody's yeah. trying to everybody's trying to buy you Phil food. Mr. Lopate, you know, yeah, that seemed too. But cool. now that you're now that you're, we're all old. I feel like calling you Mr. Lopate, but I'll call you Phil. Um, but now you realize the as a kid, you probably didn't realize the 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 gravity of the man. Yeah, and well, so you called him Phil. Well, one of the things I loved about working with kids is. They had no idea who you were. Like Norman Mailer could have walked in, and they wouldn't treat him with any more respect than anybody else. You would have to grab their attention, and you'd have to. Well, unless it was like the Fonz walked in. Yeah, oh, that's what we yeah, before the Fonz. But in general, they didn't know from one one writer to the next. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that in '73, I, I don't know who would have been the the, the cool person back then. Uh, um, Neil Armstrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was. Might have been a sport. Might have been a Walt Frazier or someone like that. Yeah, or like, uh, yeah, Walt Frazier or uh, um, uh, who were the big, T- Tommy Agee or something, some, you know, one of the old Cleon Well, who was Jones. big on TV at that time? Well, I think we, um, I think that we just thought you were another cool teacher. Cool teacher. Coolest. gave us the opportunity to uh, not do what all the other teachers were. Uh, yeah, it was a kind of holiday in a way. <laughs> yeah. 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 But then I wanted you to work, nevertheless. <laughs> Did you guys go over West Side Story? A little bit. But what's, what's your recollection of that? That was the biggest night in PS75's history. That was big, yeah. I mean, that was a real... The kids had come to me. They wanted to do West Side Story, and I didn't particularly want to do it. Um, but then they talked me into it, and then I got all into it. What kind know? of kids at that age wanted to do West Side Story? Because That's... it was... It, first of all, it was the West Side, Upper West Side. And, um, oh, I guess and it was their myth, essentially. Because, like, Brit, it was their myth, you know? Brit. Yeah. Brit, Roberto, you know. Um, so so um, we rehearsed for months, you know? And, uh, and they were really, a lot of them were talented singers and dancers, you know? Um, so, you know, but they were, uh, we put it on three or four times, and the first night was, you know, tremendous, you know? But the third time, uh, the kids were punching each other behind the curtains, <laughs> and it wasn't that easy, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> Now, I remember opening night because that was the gala opening. And this is what I heard. I don't really recall the details, but that the whole idea was that when they had the knife fight, that you had expressly said, you can have, like, of course, they wanted switchblades, and you said you cannot have the knives out. And then when it came time for that scene, the 10 and 11-year-olds took the blades out and and started fighting each other. Well, no, they, they, there was... At were, least that's the no, story no, in you, sixth grade. As legend no, no, has true. it. Yes. There's yeah. a part of it that's true, and you are, you are, you are mentioning the most, um, you know, uh, fraught and embarrassing moment of my teaching career. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, because, because they could have, you know, stabbed each other, but they, it was much more controlled. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> that experience. But, but they were also playing with me, you know. Yes, exactly. At least the story the next day was that you were in the wings right. yelling, yeah. close the blades. Close the blades, yes. <laughs> close, <laughs> close the Fantastic. fucking blade. Yes. <laughs> and that was the Upper West Side in the, in the, yeah, exactly. in the 70s. It was a rough neighborhood, the Upper West Side back then. Uh, I mean, everybody we know was mugged, right? Every, every, every People can't, like, when, when older people, you know, worried 70s, about crime in the city. They, everybody... Everybody was mugged, and I remember, I, I, I know whenever I meet these people from out of town, I say, well, the 70s was much cooler because it was rough, the city was rough. I think, get out of here. I was mugged in the 70s. I don't want that to come back. If they're going to mug Mr. Lopez, don't mug anybody. <laughs> I mean, they have no, they, they figure Mr. Lopez should at least be off limits. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's, me no it, these people have no, no decency. It, it's <laughs> way off the subject, but it's a, it is a dynamic which is transferable to many, many situations where... Once the new generation comes along and they really don't have a recollection of a particular era, they don't understand what's possible. Right. They don't understand that we could go back to a time where just everybody's getting mugged, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, to them, and I've said this before, in, in so many ways, the, the past is like a, is a black and white movie. These things can't happen. That's what's happening in Russia and Ukraine now. People, they just can't believe that people still do stuff like this, yes, right? I know. But it's just reversion to the mean, really. I mean, human nature is the same, and, and these things will always continue to happen because um, memories fade. Anyway. Okay, so um, 
We ready to wrap it up? Yes, I just want to say, um, and I'll, I'll let Johnny say something also, but honestly, it, it is no small matter to be a teacher and leave an impression on 10-year-old children that stays with them for the rest of their lives. Wow. I, don't know, I don't know if you mm-hmm. fully appreciate that gift that you gave us and the gift that you have. It it is, and I'm speaking for me and for him and for, as I said, for the other people that we've spoken to, this is a remarkable impact that you had on little kids. So really you should be very, you know, take pride in that uh, as a personal matter. It's amazing. I don't know what you want to add. I, I, I will say that one of these I picked up walking up Broadway about 20 years ago and some guy had a bunch of stuff out ah. on the sidewalk, and I li- saw the spicy meatball. And I said, "Wow, mm-hmm. where did you get this?" And the guy goes, "Oh, that's some kind of out there writing." <laughs> <laughs> outlaw writing, truly outlaw writing. Um, <laughs> okay, guys. So, Mr. to see you again. Phil Lopez, who was the author of the book "Being with Children" and numerous other books, professor of creative writing at uh, not creative writing, but. Uh, Non-fiction. non-fiction writing at Columbia University, editor of the Spicy Meatball, mm. <laughs> which is no longer in production, but perhaps you can find a copy on a table somewhere on the Upper West Side <laughs> if you're lucky. The best in 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 elementary school uh, creative fiction. Thank you, Mr. Lopate. You, you, I, please sign my uh, si- sign my book for me. And Michelle Horowitz, our Michelle old Horowitz. and dear friend, Michelle Horowitz. So good to see you again. Good to see you. Glad too. you're it's flourish- so great to see your faces. And glad you're flourishing in St. Louis. I'm doing very well. And and stay yeah. off the weed. Yeah, I, I never will smoke. Just because it it's legal ever. doesn't mean you should be doing no, it. No, I do not touch the stuff. And there's a good amount of evidence that he's got. There's a lot of. Like now, it's becoming so legal. There's a lot more. Yeah, I mean, you you, you know, now. people have to be careful with it. I'm a, I'm a way better guitar player now than I was then. Way better. Uh, Perel Ashenbrand. You could buy her books on my knees, and the only wish I trust is my own on <laughs> Amazon. My book, I Respiro Before COVID, a novel, also available on Amazon. I'm gonna send it to Phil. Perel, get if you get if you get Phil's address, I'm gonna I'm gonna send him a copy of Dan's uh, book. I think you're not you gonna send him a copy of my books. Okay, you know what? I'm, in my, I'm just going to put my address underneath my signature. Okay, that's great. Um, well, that's between you guys. Um, I think you would enjoy Dan's book. The Comedy Cellar. <laughs> ComedyCellar.com. Comedy. Seven nights a week. We got four rooms. This is like a multiplex theater we got going here. Uh, Noam, he is the, the king of uh, stand, the stand-up comedy business in New York City. And uh, we thank you all. And we'll see you next time on Live from the Table.